from John 20, 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw the two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, that he had said these things to her. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. Let us be in a spirit of prayer. O Holy One, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our salvation. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. 
You know, Platt has just read the Easter story, that glorious story of Jesus' resurrection. I want to tell you another story. A man lies in a street, struggling for life as the authorities usher him to death. Onlookers are horrified, begging for him to be spared, doing their best to help and wanting to render aid, all the while knowing that there is nothing that will deter the officials and stop the man from dying. For Christians, this past week has been Holy Week, and during this Holy Week, America was riveted by the testimony in the trial of Derek Chauvin, the police officer who knelt on the neck of George Floyd until Mr. Floyd breathed his last. Diana Butler Bass writes that she watched most of the witnesses from the nine-year-old girl to 61-year-old Charles McMillan, who broke down on the stand. She goes on to say that with each tearful testimony, she thought of what happened on that street in Minneapolis as regular people watched heartless authorities while a man died unjustly. Another man died unjustly more than 2,000 years ago, and today we remember what came next. Nicola Torbett writes that the world is so much weirder and more miraculous than many of us once thought. She describes that a flightless white-throated bird native to the islands of the Indian Ocean called the Aldabra bird went extinct 136,000 years ago, and now it's back. Biologists attribute the return of this extinct species and a few others to a process they call iterative evolution through which a species can evolve more than once. This rare re-evolution of a species happens as a result of ecological conditions that favor its existence. So that species, nearly related to the Aldabra bird, can mutate in the direction of the Aldabra because the latter was, and again is, uniquely suited to its environment. During this time when the church seems to be in decline, this gives me great hope that there is an environment in which this Christian hope, this Christian forgiveness can be resurrected. Through a fleeting conspiracy of innumerable environmental factors, the Aldabra bird has been resurrected. Look closer at the scientific explanation for this resurrection and things become even weirder and more miraculous. What the resurrection of the Aldabra bird suggests and what is confirmed more and more frequently as scientific instruments are refined is that a species as such could more accurately be thought about not as a discrete entity but as the confluence of an infinite number of conditions other life forms and forces coming together in a particular way for a particular time the same could be said of individuals, avian or human or otherwise. What we tend to think of as individual, separate, differentiated things are actually what Nigerian poet, philosopher, and activist Bayo Akamolefe calls assemblages, webs of interrelationship of which the observer, say the scientist in this example, is themselves a constitutive part. Akomalefe writes, 
There aren't independent objects or things floating around in the world awaiting the vision of scientific observation. In fact, there aren't things at all. Things are the temporary identities we fasten upon fluid relationships in order to navigate the world conveniently. Think about a culture that needs hope, a culture that needs forgiveness and grace and compassion, all the things that Jesus brought and taught. Think of that as coming again, as being resurrected, even in a place where it seems dead. Mary went looking for the body of Jesus. She went to mourn her beloved friend, teacher, who had been murdered by the Roman Empire. She saw him murdered. And in the end, it was Mary and some other women who stayed until he was entirely dead. In a mechanistic Newtonian understanding of the world, Jesus was as dead on Sunday as he had been on Friday. And that meant that the corpse would have to be there in the tomb. Or if it was not there, as it was not, then it had to be somewhere else. This is simply common sense within the understanding of the world that we adopt. As Akamal Efe says, in order to navigate the world conveniently. But as the corpse was not there, nor was it somewhere else, there was Jesus alive, speaking, calling Mary by name, all the while looking for all the world like a gardener. Do not hold on to me, he says. Do not try to pin me down to reduce this miracle to something that makes sense within a strictly empiricist worldview. There was an intimacy to her request, wanting to be near the one she loved and whom she knew loved her, but also a desperation, wanting to hold on to the one who healed, the one who guides, the one who taught us how to forgive. The world is so much weirder and more miraculous than Mary once thought. More is possible than she ever imagined. Grief turns out to be lost, yes, but also gratitude for encountering the fleeting and ever-changing assemblage that she knew for convenience as Jesus of Nazareth and awe that so much of what constituted him, his presence, is still here in some new and mysterious incarnational form and recognition of the degree to which she has been changed by him, the ways we have been changed by Jesus. The binaries have been broken. The notion that someone is either alive or dead. Reality itself is non-binary, queer. In this encounter outside the tomb, Mary herself is reshaped, reconfigured, and called set on a new trajectory to go and tell just how queer and wondrous this world is. How are we being reshaped and called by the losses we have sustained in this last year by the COVID-19 virus? What new assemblages have emerged through these and as well as through the trunk-filling mission offerings and drive-by birthday parades and Zoom meetings that we have all been experiencing. 
It's hard to think of such a destructive and isolated time as being helpful or hopeful. But there is possibility within this experience. Things have been changed in a way that we cannot fathom. And we know there is no going back. We have an opportunity to imagine new ways to be the church. Here at Wesley, we have found that mission continues to be possible and that it has flourished during this time. Through your hands and hearts, you dedicated volunteers and donors, Worship continues to be possible through the talent and imagination of our gifted staff online. And we are working hard to research and implement the means by which we can continue to have simultaneous live streaming, even once we do also return in person. We are grateful to have the opportunity and imagination to have occasional parking lot services starting on April 25th, and I hope that you will dream right alongside our church leaders and staff that are actively working on this. I pray that you will send along your thoughts as you are inspired, and you will tell us how we can share God's message of love and hope within the Concord community and beyond because I know God is inspiring you just as much as he is inspiring each of us. What might be different if we could remember that the world is so much weirder and miraculous than we think? How might remembering that everything is relational, which is to say charged with the spirit, change how we pray and worship and think and act? If we open our hearts to the possibilities, I know that God will be glorified through our outreach to the community, building relationships with each beloved person who seeks a community where they will be welcome. The gospel resurrection narratives are stories about a time when the eternal realm breaks into this one. Someone dead is alive again. There are other ways that this inbreaking happens. For example, when a past transgression is unexpectedly forgiven or some wound becomes newly available for healing. When memories we had forgotten return in new and illuminating ways. When a dream image pierces through the illusions in which we've been mired. When a long hoped for but far-fetched victory in the justice struggle is suddenly won. These inbreakings are the work of a power beyond our own, but it is also possible to cultivate the ability to perceive the eternal realm and the historical realm simultaneously, even if it is just in fits and starts. Our scripture from John painstakingly describe how Jesus' disciples, male and female, cope with his death and absence and come to believe in his resurrection. A word John most often uses is the word idean, and this word is translated as see or know or understand. Mary Magdalene went to Peter and the other disciples saying, we do not know where they have laid him. The two disciples appear to compete to get to the tomb first and go inside the tomb one by one and see nothing inside but the strips of linen and the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The beloved disciple seems exceptional because he saw and believed. 
But the following narration seems to contradict this because he is one of those who do not yet understand the scripture, that Jesus must rise from the dead. If that disciple had believed that Jesus has risen, he would have announced to the others just as Mary does. Although they are supposed to recognize Jesus, remember his words, and understand the scripture, this is not the case for the disciples yet. They return, designated by the word aplithon, to their homes again so quickly. Did they not all step back, aplithon, when their teacher was arrested in the garden? After seeing the empty tomb, fear possesses them so that the disciples go to lock themselves in a house at the evening of the day. But let us not fear. At Wesley, let's not fear. Let's not insist on a return to the way it was. Let us understand and embody that God is doing a new thing and announce with excitement like Mary, I have seen the Lord. Reverend Lenise Pinkert often claims hope is a do word. It requires that we do something. We step out on faith that God has defeated death, and that gives us courage to keep living, to risk vulnerability, and to do justice even when it costs. The phrase from the Christian tradition, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, might be just such a reminder. I imagine it as a kind of code. One person claims, Christ is risen, meaning I am someone who is trying to live in the eschatological realm in the midst of history, into the future, while honoring our Christian heritage, all that is so rich about what we bring forward into that future. The other person responds, he is risen indeed, meaning me too, I'm with you. Let's take the crucified off the cross because death has been defeated. Alleluia, amen. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. <laughs>